Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. As always, you can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, called The Prayer and Power of Love and Fullness. Okay, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21 tonight. And we're going to look at a prayer. And whenever you think about prayer, I think prayer reveals our priorities. If you've ever prayed with someone, I think that you can get a real heart for where someone's soul is at by what they pray for, what they pray about. In Romans 9, Paul prays this mind-blowing prayer where he says something like this. He says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. The Holy Spirit bears me witness. And then he talks about he has unceasing grief in his heart for his kinsmen according to the flesh that they might be saved. And he says, I would wish that I would be a curse from Christ, separated from him for the sake of my kinsmen. Paul prayed something very similar to what Moses prayed in Exodus. Lord, blot me out of your book for the sake of your people. That is incredible. Now, I don't think that Paul's salvation was his to give up, nor do I think that that's the way salvation works, that God will take us out for the sake of somebody else. But you can see the heartbeat of Paul. And in Romans 10.1, he goes on to say that my prayer for them is for their salvation. I don't know how much time you and I spend praying for people's salvation, but that is a biblical prayer. That when you meet people, you know unbelievers in your life, you have family members that are not Christians, one of the things that you should have high on your priority list is praying for their salvation. There is a spiritual battle, and sometimes we wonder, when we come to the subject of prayer, and we've all acknowledged that we probably struggle with you know, praying as consistently as we should, One of the things that you can make a priority in your prayer life is praying for the salvation of the lost. I'm not talking about, Lord, would you save the world kind of prayers. But I'm talking about with specificity, if you meet somebody, I think that you can even order your life in such a way that you can be meeting someone and be praying for their soul as you're talking to them on a, on, a, on a sub-level, you can be praying for them. I believe there's a way to order your soul Please hear this well, because this is the implication of one of the Greek words. When Paul says, pray without ceasing, he's not talking about being in a 24-hour endless uh, prayer time. He is talking about, rather, a Godward gaze. He's talking about funneling things that come your way in your normal, everyday life and funneling them back up to God. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. It means a Godward gaze. It means to have your eyes on your creator, the sustainer of your Christian walk, and the one who is promising to us to order our steps. Amen? Amen. If we trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not in our own understanding. In all our ways, if we acknowledge him, he will direct our path. That's right. And so in uh, Jeremiah 33.3, God says from the NIV, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So prayer is the soul's desire, one writer says, unuttered or expressed. It reveals the heart of a person. And Paul not only prayed for people's salvation, but he also prayed for Christians' strength. When he learned about a church or he learned about people in a church, what he would do is pray for their maturing. So a couple things right from the get-go. We should be praying for people's salvation regularly, and we should be 
praying for younger believers maturing and our own maturing. You have kids. Kids are in the public school a lot of the time. Pray for their protection and their maturation and their walk. We have a youth group meeting right now. We should be praying for our young people that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. These are biblical prayers. And one of the things I think we're going to find is Paul introduces this concept of praying for the church is praying with an open Bible is so important. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. One thing that you can do is if you read a psalm or you read a proverb or you're going through something devotionally, you should let that kind of center your prayers. What I mean by that is let that be the foundation from which you pray. Because the word of God reveals the will of God. And if you pray according to the will of God, you will see more of your prayers answered. And so that's the way it works. And Paul, as he breaks into this prayer, he prayed something earlier in Ephesians 1.18. He prayed for enlightenment. Go back there for a second. He says, uh, I do not, uh, this is Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray, Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. When we ended that message last time, I said something that I wanted to change in my spiritual repertoire, if you will, is I wanted to pray. Sometimes I pray and I'm putting on the armor of God by faith. I pray that God will fill me with his Holy Spirit. And I wanted to add to my repertoire, and I've not been as consistent as I'd like to be. Uh, Open the eyes of my heart, O Lord. Uh, Let me see you more clearly, but let me see what you want me to see more clearly as well. I think those are good things that we should pray, and they are biblical prayers. The first section of prayer in Ephesians 1 is a prayer for enlightenment. If you like to put titles on things, this will help govern where we're headed. And the prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is a prayer for enablement. Ephesians 1, 18 through 23, or a little bit before that is for enlightenment, that Christians would be enlightened to the riches of their calling. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 is a prayer for enablement. It is a prayer for power. Once you know who you are, now you need to be empowered to walk in concert with who you are. And so that's exactly what Paul's going to do. Remember, he began the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 with uh, these words, and then he kind of stopped. So Ephesians 3, let's see. He says in verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, and he begins to identify himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, and he is uh, about to break into the prayer, but then he, he does what I would call a sacred or divinely directed digression. And whenever we digress, hopefully it's from the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is doing here because this is divine scripture. So he digresses and he goes back into the mystery of the church and he just is celebrating the mystery. And just some highlights. Uh, this is 2.5. He says, Christ has made us alive, Ephesians 2.5. In 2.10, he says, we are his workmanship. In 2.19 through 21, he calls us citizens of God, family of God, God's dwelling. The Holy Spirit dwells among us. I'm just hitting some highlights. And in Ephesians 3. 
9 and 10, he tells us that we are making known the wisdom and the grace of God, the redemption of God to the world and to angels. Awesome. Paul is unveiling the mystery of the church, the revelation that we are God's people and that God dwells among us and that God is revealing who he is to the world and to angels through the church. We have some interesting uh, parallel passages that we could go to, but the angels are interested in the church. They watch us, apparently, and I told you that I've concluded that it's probably both good and evil angels who take note of the church And we've seen scriptures where it's clear that Satan tries to infiltrate the church and so forth. So praying. And so Paul now, uh, he finishes the digression. We went up to verse uh, 13 last time. He says, therefore I ask you uh, not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. In Ephesians 3.14 we start our text, and he goes back to the prayer for this reason. So connect verse 1 with verse 14 and he's coming back to the prayer. And when you see a phrase like, for this reason, you should ask, for what reason? (laughs) As a student of the Bible, those are the questions that you should ask. When you see something like, therefore, ask, what is it there for? And it always takes you back into the context so you can see the links in Scripture. How is the Holy Spirit taking the train of thought? And for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees, notice verse 14, before the Father. For this reason, NIV, I kneel before the Father. For what reason? Because Paul is overwhelmed by the revelation of the church. Paul is overwhelmed by the love of God. Has the love of God ever driven you to your knees? Have you ever been so overwhelmed by God's love when you realized a truth, God brought it home to you, and it so overwhelmed your soul that the only thing that you felt that you could do in the moment is drop to your knees and say, oh God, I don't understand how you could love me. I don't know how it is that you loved me before the foundation of the world. I don't know why you chose me. I don't know why you've chosen to pour your grace upon me. Think of Paul fighting Jesus Christ, an enemy of the cross, opposed to the church, and he becomes the instrument, God's chosen instrument, to bring the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles. He's writing sacred scripture and going, I can't believe it, but I believe it. You know what I'm saying? When I say I can't believe it, I'm using that expression. You know what I'm saying. Anyway. Paul is overwhelmed that God the Holy Spirit has done this kind of work and revealed these revelations to him so much so that I think he's just, he just hits his knees. And by the way, kneeling is not the normal posture for a Jewish prayer. Most Jewish prayers are standing. When you see the Wailing Wall, if you see pictures of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, you'll see the Jews, they stand and pray with their little prayer book and they do the, the head bob. I was in Jerusalem uh, in 2006 and right above where the Wailing Wall is, there's two um, Muslim shrines. And uh, they used to be Christian, now they're Muslim because of all the fighting that went on there. And and so uh, up on top, when the sun was setting, we were there at the Feast of Purim and the Jews that were there were fasting in honor of, of a fast in the Bible from the book of Esther. And so when the sun sets, all of a sudden the Muslim prayers start going from the prayer towers. And you can hear something like, oh, you know, whatever the language is. And you can just see the Jewish people just speeding up their, 
Like, why did we give them the Temple Mount? Because it was given away, remember, as a peace gesture. The Jews had control of it, and they gave it back to the Arabs as a peace gesture, and that didn't work out very well. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Pastor Michael Lance would like to invite you to our next 633 event called On the Brink, A Warning to America. I can't think of anything more relevant and more that needs explanation and clarification and illumination than the topic of Marxism, socialism, and communism. The next 633 event will be August 22nd at 6.30 with guest pastor Christian Ionesco. He's a Chicago pastor who fled persecution in communist Romania and really became a religious refugee in America. Now he is saying that he is seeing signs in America, similar things that were happening in Romania as they were being prepped to really transfer over to communism. Learn more about this next 633 event on walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. In honor of, of a fast in the Bible from the book of Esther. And so, when the sun sets, all of a sudden the Muslim prayers start going from the prayer towers. And you can hear something like, you know, whatever the language is. And you could see the Jewish people just speeding up there. <laughs> like, why did we give them the Temple Mount? Because it was given away, remember, as a peace gesture. The Jews had control of it, and they gave it back to the Arabs as a peace gesture, and that didn't work out very well. But anyway, but at spe- in special occasions in the Bible, you do see people hit their knees in prayer. Solomon in Second Chronicles 6.13, at the dedication of the temple, it says, and he set it in the midst of the court, he stood on it, he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and he spread out his hands toward heaven. Oftentimes when, when Jewish people in special occasions, uh, maybe big moments, maybe emotional moments, they would get on their knees and spread out their hands to heaven. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it's kind of a cool thing uh, to get on your knees and spread out your hands. Now some of you are just kind of some of you fight the hand thing. You don't know if you could go there. You know, you kind of fight it because you think that that's, that's kind of a special... When I first came into the Christian church, it was weird to even experience singing in a church. Uh, and so I thought everybody was kind of nuts just to be singing. I mean, there was nowhere that I went in my regular life where I just joined a group of friends and break into song, you know. <laughs> All right, boys, what do you want to sing? Here we go. Maybe in the seventh inning stretch. That, that was about it. All right, now you come into the Christian church and people sing. And you can tell, there's some people who, you know, it's been a while and they're starting to get used to it and the hands can go up and there's some people that just kind of... And there's some people, you know what, there's no right or wrong way to worship. Some people are worshiping and they're just more comfortable that way. But Paul, in this uh, sacred moment, falls to his knees. 
Ezra was appalled and heartbroken over the intermarriage with pagans in Ezra 9.5. His robe was torn and it says, I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. In the last meeting with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20.36, it says, when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Paul was on the seashore, last meeting with the Ephesian elders, and fell to his knees, overwhelmed in prayer. There is no correct posture of prayer. What matters most is not a bowed knee, but a bowed heart. And so sometimes I will say to people, bow your hearts before the Lord. Because your outward posture is really second to your inward posture. If your heart is bowed before the Lord, what you are saying to God is, you know what? I belong to you. I'm in your service. And whatever you command me to do, that's what I will do. My heart is bowed. You can bow your knee, but you can be fighting God. You could be in a posture of prayer where there's something to kneel on, but not have your heart bowed to God. So your outward posture is secondary to your inward posture. What God cares most about is your heart. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even say you have to have your eyes closed when you pray. But it's weird when people pray with their eyes open, isn't it? We watch a preacher praying with his eyes open and go, that's wrong. He just, he's doing that wrong. And you say, why? Does he have to close his eyes? Like, Don't do it when you're driving. That's exactly right. Or you, meet, you may meet God quicker. <laughs> Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as, as, Mer- as at Meribah speaks of rebellion, as in the day of Massa speaks of testing in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. Come, let us worship and bow down. And then the next phrase is, if you would hear his voice. When you pray, it's not just about you talking. It is also about you listening. And God does speak in a still, small voice. And that's why I said it's important that you pray with an open Bible because the Lord speaks to us through his word. Sometimes we have difficulty when we're hearing something maybe in our hearts. We say, God, is that you? Is that me? And the best way to test that is with an open Bible. Is the word of God motivating me to pray for this, to pray in this direction? Is the spirit of God confirming that? And so Paul says, I kneel. Notice he says, for this reason, because of the great revelation of who we are, I bow my knees before my father. And I would just say to you, That's enough reason to pray right there. It's enough reason to pray right there just to be thankful for what God has done for you. That's enough. But God is so gracious that he will let us and he will hear our petitions and he will come to our aid and he's there as our great high priest to offer assistance to us. But it's enough if we just could say that every day the only reason we pray is to thank God for our redemption. That's enough. And that's what drove Paul to his knees. And he says, from whom, and he was talking about the father in the previous verse, that word is pater in Greek. It's not Abba there, but pater. And and it says from whom, and the whom is the father, every family in heaven 
and on earth derives its name. Now, every family in heaven and on earth is not universal salvation. Uh, Not everybody is a child of God. The Bible actually classifies two types of people. There are children of God, and this is going to shock some people, and there are children of the devil. If you want a verse, 1 John 3.10 says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not from God, or not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John seems to make a strong argument there that love is the indicator of God's presence. If you're a child of God, you will love like God. You will have the love of God in you. But how can you say you love God and hate your brother? John will say later in the same letter. Turn to the book of John, and let me show you a couple passages that relate to this. John chapter 1, and let's look at uh, verses 11 through 13. John 1, 11 through 13. It says, He, Jesus, came to his own, John 1, 11, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him To them he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Now, receiving Jesus Christ, John 1.12, is the means by which you get the right to become a child of God. You must believe, trust in his name. And then it's clarified, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, it's not about a natural birth that makes you a child of God. It's about a what? Spiritual birth. You've been listening to The Prayer and Power of Love and Fullness, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. And that's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians, Chapter 3, Verses 14 through 21. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you could listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Walk in Truth, our church, and the events and studies we have going on, then download our free Living Truth app in your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, you may be asking, how do I know that God dwells in my heart? Well, There's an internal witness that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to God. There's an internal testimony from the Holy Spirit. Now, you could say that's somewhat subjective, although I would think that if God's living inside of you, you would know it. (laughs) Amen. But I know sometimes our flesh, the world, the enemy can get the best of us. Sometimes we get confused, overwhelmed. Sometimes we disappoint ourselves. But look, Scripture says if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've repented of your sin, you've moved out of death into life. Um, That's what happens when you believe God's word and trust in Jesus Christ and do what the Bible says. Repent, receive him. That's the deal. So you may have some questions. And look, the Bible does say to search uh, or to examine our hearts to see if we're in the faith. So there's a place for that. But you know, I've, I've known a lot of people over the years that are soundly saved, if you will, but are always fighting the battle of their security in Christ. And that's a tough spot to be in. And so I would just say, let the authority of Scripture be the, what drives the train 
A secondary, of course, or I, I, I pause to even say secondary because the internal witness of the Holy Spirit isn't secondary, but it, it's certainly a more subjective test. But let the facts of Scripture drive the train. Uh, but it's good to examine our hearts, especially if you've been on the fringes for a while and you know maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian and you could genuinely say, I- I'm just not sure. Then be sure. The Bible says now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Get saved, my friend. Now, if you're asking what do I do to get saved, you trust Christ. You trust the Savior. He came to save you. And how do you get saved? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Greek means trust. Entrust your soul to him. Believe what he said about life, about death, about what you need, about his own perfect life, his own sacrificial death on the cross, his own triumphant resurrection. Believe him. Take him at his word. Trust in him today for your salvation. He is mighty to save. And if we can help you with that, call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. We have uh, pastors available 9 to 4 Pacific time. Tuesday through Friday, once again, 844-48-TRUTH. This is Pastor Michael Lance. We'll be right back here tomorrow to talk more about the prayer and power of love and fullness. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. And thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God. Hey, if you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a partner of at least $5 a month? Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, called The Prayer and Power of Love and Fullness. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.